teach us king of glory the responsibility of sainthood and to know that there surely is a responsibility that comes with our faith or with our role as saints or king of glory teach us the way of a walking in accordance with your will and glorifying you as divine ambassadors or as symbols of your presence here on earth this is our prayer in jesus my name have prayed amen as someone said one day that uh, many people want to go to heaven but they don't want to die in the same way there are many people that uh, um, want the benefits of a, resp a responsibility without wanting to particularly take that responsibility many of us want a salary but we don't want to work as much as we should for that salary uh, you see, and many things of that nature. Many people want to have that good food, but they don't want to cook it. They want to have these long nails of theirs, and <laughs> they want to enjoy a good meal, but preparing it becomes an issue. And, and, and stuff of that nature. People want to have food in their gardens, but working at it is a very hard thing. So today we want to look at um, the terms of sainthood. Yesterday, uh, in a um, Zechariah's fourth vision, we realize that we are saints in Zechariah chapter 3. And now we want to finish up that chapter by looking at the terms of sainthood. If you're going to be a saint, what terms are therein entailed? Let us look at Zechariah chapter 3, verse 6 to the end. It reads, And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house and also have charge of my courts and i'll grant you free access among these who are standing here he's showing them um saints already that have been glorified now listen joshua the high priest you and your friends who are sitting in front of you indeed you are men who are a symbol for behold i am going to bring my servant the branch for behold, the stone that I have set before Joshua, on one stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave an inscription on it, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and under his fig. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our King of glory. Um, there are two things here that we should basically realize or get to see straight away. One, in the first portion of this passage, God speaks of a kind of a condition. He uses an if-then uh, relationship, an if-then symbiotic relationship that we see here. He says, and the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, if... You hear that? Which means there is something that is dependent upon the fulfillment of another. If you will walk in my ways, and if you will perform my service, then you will govern my house and also have charge of my courts. You see? So in sainthood, one, the first thing we are seeing here is basically obedience. That as saints, we are meant to maintain our sainthood with obedience. And then next, he says in verse 8 that we are symbols that Joshua was going to be a symbol and basically he stands uh, on behalf of um, uh, many believers there. Now listen, Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends, you are sitting, who are sitting in front of you. Indeed, they are men who are a symbol. That word is key. 
For behold, I'm going to bring in my servant, very key, the branch, two messianic titles that have been loaded in one statement. For behold, the stone that I have set before Joshua on one stone, and so on and so forth. So, we are summarizing this into two major considerations here. One, um, the terms of sainthood. One, you are meant to maintain sainthood or your sainthood with obedience. That is one. It is almost um, subjectively implied here um, for us um, to be saints. It is subjectively implied that uh, um, definitely someone will have to be obedient. Because if you're not, then you can't be a saint. Uh, otherwise, you'd lose your salvation. That is what he means there. Uh, you see, and then secondly, he says that Joshua was a symbol. He was going to be a symbol. Whose symbol? A symbol of Christ, the Messiah, in two perspectives. One, the Messiah being a servant, and two, the Messiah being um, a branch. And we shall categorically see what that actually means. Now, first, uh, obedience. As saints, we are called to be obedient because it is only then that we can sustain our relationship with God. That's the most important thing there. Yeah, From Genesis to Revelation, you're going to see that. God appointed Adam and Eve, for example, to abide in the Garden of Eden. But the terms or the major condition of their sustenance was going to be obedience. The moment they disobeyed and partook of the forbidden fruit, what happened? A broken relationship followed, and uh, as a result of that, they were thrown out of the garden. They were taken out of the garden, actually. That is the right one to use there. Verse 7 of Zechariah 3 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will perform my service. You remember what God told to uh, Solomon when he was praying for wisdom um, in First Kings chapter 3. I think that is what. Verse 16, yeah. Yes, that is verse 14. First Kings chapter 3, verse 14. He told him, if you shall follow in my ways and be obedient to me, just like as your father David was, then I shall establish your kingdom eh, and, and you shall not lack a man that will reign here. You see, that was the condition. Many of us often say that um, our relationship with God is unconditional. It is unconditional in terms of coming to God. Um, whoever comes, um, and even then you'd need to have faith. But basically, if you come to saving faith, thereafter you're required to sustain this relationship uh, with God, uh, with obedience. That is what he's saying. It was telling um, Joshua here that uh, if you actually went ahead to um, maintain a relationship of obedience, then you shall govern my house. You'll go ahead and govern my house. Joshua, as a high priest, was required uh, to maintain a relationship of obedience for him to execute his ministry. And he says that would grant him access among those who are standing before him, pointing to saints that had already been glorified. You know, without holiness, Hebrews says, no one will ever be able to see God. Yeah, it is impossible. So obedience, friend, in whatever we are doing, and obedience is submitting to God whether anyone is seeing you or no. It is absolute submission. Now, I do not want to insinuate anything to the effect that I am meaning here that there are people that can entirely live to the dot, to the point that they are not sinning in any way. But God is looking at the disposition of your heart with this particular statement. He says, are you basically focused on me? When he speaks of David having a heart uh, after his own, uh, what he means is David's disposition was one that was 
uh, uh, basically skewed towards the Lord. And uh, when he messed up, he was willing to repent. Unlike Saul, th this is what he means here. Secondly, what he also means is that God will operate in the heart of this saint and he will help him to fulfill what God requires. This is why uh, Jesus said that he's not going to leave us as orphans as he goes into heaven. He surely will give us a comforter, an advocate, that will, one, comfort, a guide, a comforter, an advocate. One, he will guide us in what to do. Um, uh, two, comfort us in times of trouble. Uh, three, an advocate when we are choosed for sin, when we have failed in one way or the other. So, I don't know what it is that you could be struggling with, but uh, basically as a saint of God, your disposition, your, your heart disposition is meant to be completely fixed on the Lord. And when things that depart you from the Lord come, then we know that we have a comforter, we have an advocate, we have a guide that will draw us back unto God. There are areas in your life that you may find that you're not being obedient as a saint. We need work there. We need work there. Try to identify those areas. Where am I not being obedient? Particularly when no one is watching. Obedience is, is a thing that should be relational and is not basically depending on who is watching. This is what God teaches us as we walk with him. You see? And in Luke 12, verse 2, we learned sometime that God actually knows and sees everything that is happening. He emphasizes the same thing, same thing in Hebrews um, um, when he says in Hebrews 4, uh, 13, when he says that there is no creature created that is ever hidden from him. Secondly, and lastly, he also observes that as saints, here he talks to Joshua and he tells him, Joshua, as a high priest and the men that are seated before you, speaking of fellow priests, let me tell you, you people are symbols. Now, a symbol is not as important as the thing that it represents. And secondly, it is meant to exactly there, uh, bring out the meaning of the very thing that it mirrors. You see that? If you're going to Entebbe International Airport and you reach Shibuya and you see a signpost and it reads Entebbe Airport, Pandeyi, you don't get there and you're like, Banange Entebbe, Banange Bangamba Wala. So if you, you are light from your taxi or car there, and you think you're going to catch your plane, then you're catching it in vain. But this symbol should represent the reality so, so closely that you not lose meaning, even when it is in the reality. So this is what God has called us to be. Now, like Joshua, we are actually priests as well. That is what the New Testament calls us. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and that is what he teaches. And he says, but you are a holy nation, a holy priesthood. You understand that? Called and redeemed from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light to declare his glory and his goodness before those that have not known him. And I keep warning people, friends, today we don't have priests in the sense of the Old Testament. They are not there. Actually, our right word should be minister, pastor, elder, whatever you want, but we are not priests. Because a priest stands in between God and people, giving an, an implication that these people are unable un to make it on their own before the presence of the Lord. You see that? But once Jesus went to the cross and he said, it is finished, and that curtain on the altar was ripped into two from top to bottom, now everyone is able to make it before the presence of God. Now, Reverend, you're conceiving us, we're confusing us. What do you mean? If you say we are priests in the New Testament, we are New Testament priests in the perspective that 
we are called in line with the Great Commission to reach out to those that have not known God yet. Uh, you see that? But we are not priests in the perspective of the Old Testament like the high priest was in the form of Joshua here, who alone would make it into the presence of the Holy of Holies, uh, you know, on the Day of Atonement. And even then, it wasn't without offering a sacrifice on his own like Hebrews teaches. But in our generation, we can make it before the Lord into the very holy sanctuary of heaven, of which the one on earth was a mere copy of things in heaven uh, in the teaching of Hebrews. You understand that? Why? Because now in, um, in the New Testament dispensation, we have the full access to God, um, not as full as the point of glorification that God is going to give us when we finally uh, see him. But what he means is he made a way. You see, you remember that song? He really made a way. He made a way. You made a way. We shouldn't just sing this stuff. We should connect it to scripture where it comes from. You understand that? And he says, we are priests in a way. Now, secondly, he says, in as much as Joshua was a high priest, he was a symbol. And let us see what kind of symbol he wants. In Zechariah 3, 8, he says, Now listen, Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you. Indeed, they are men who are a symbol. For behold, I am going to bring in my servant. Underline that. The branch. Underline that. So, who was Joshua a symbol of? Joshua was being a symbol of the Messiah. And here God calls him the servant of the Lord, one and two, the branch. Those are two words that are laden with meaning. As priests in the New Testament, priests of the Lord, a royal priesthood of the Lord, a priestly nation that we are, the new Israel, we are priests of a servant of God and of a branch of God. When God speaks of uh, Jesus as um, his servant, um, their intonations of giving oneself away, shedding his blood for others, accepting to suffer for others, that is the level at which he's putting us. Uh, one passage that brings out that well is Isaiah 53, uh, particularly verse 11, that, but basically that whole chapter speaks of God as a suffering servant. Mark also portrays him as such. In Isaiah 53, 11, the word of the Lord says, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, you hear that, will justify the many as he will bear the iniquities. Speaking of the death that Christ was going to die on the cross. And friends, by doing that, he was a humble servant, one of his father, but in a perspective of us sinners. Oh God, have mercy upon us. These days you don't see that especially amongst us ministers. You don't see that. We are highly exalted, the way that we dress, the cars that we drive. Eh? There's someone that made a post that I really loved. When a pastor gets a problem, they say let us, uh, buy, when a pastor needs a new car, they say let us contribute. And when someone is sick amongst the congregation, they say let us pray. That touched my heart. And that is what we do. We pastors, set of focus sometimes, in looking upon ourselves and considering ourselves, but look at the attitude of Christ. He put others before him. He was a servant. You remember when the disciples came to him, the apostles, and were asking him, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he told them, you want to know who is the greatest? I will show you who it is. 
called a child unto them and showed them that if any person doesn't have the attitude such as of this child, they cannot make it into the kingdom of heaven. Meaning we are meant to be humble. We don't load it over others. This is what Peter teaches in chapter 5. We don't load it over others. We are meant to go down. Pastors should be the last to eat. It is different in our generation. <laughs> I often tell my friends, for us, we have processions when we are entering. When you're entering a church service, it's youngest first to the, to the biggest tomb. I'm forgetting right now who is the biggest in the church. I have a problem of forgetting. But when it comes to a food line, to a time of serving food, what happens? The biggest comes first. That is our protocol. Culture takes over. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But it should be different. And we pastors should be eating last. In any case, if anyone misses food, it should be the pastor, not anyone. But look at us. Look at the cars that we drive. Powerful, wonderful cars. 300 million. Yeah, VXs. Uh, one of my very good friends, um, the, you know, has access to a lot of money because he runs an organization. And we are looking at cars that we should buy. And uh, there was someone that made a joke and said we should get this, I think, ML1 Mercedes-Benz. And the guy laughed and said, no, and whatever did I I think that is the right attitude that we should have. But look at pastors today. Look at us. Just look at us, our mansions, our cars. And meanwhile, we have flocks that are dying right before our midst. You see that? And they tell you, give for this anointing, give for that anointing, give for this construction, give for that. How much money are we spending on the needs of the poor? Yeah, people are crying about the, 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 the tithe in our times, which we are not even giving the right way because the New Testament doesn't actually speak of tithe as we speak of it. The New Testament speaks of giving out of love because my tithe could be too much or my tithe could be too little uh, given what I'm meant to give. The law of Christ operates in the New Testament and we are meant to give out of love. But if you want to look at the tithe as it was in the Old Testament, part of it was meant to go to the poor, but look at um, how we are concentrating on um, the, 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 the pastor and um, the particular people in the church and so on. And who is caring for the poor in our generation? Who is it? Look at the servant spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are speaking about here. Uh, I, I guess you get my perspective. Uh, you, you see that? This is how God is really, really, really uh, challenging us to be servants, you know, uh, to be servants in Ezekiel uh, chapter 34 and uh, verse 23, 24, um, you will uh, actually find time and study that. But I think I can read that very quickly. I didn't want this to be very long. But friend, uh, this is the point. Uh, when the pastors not go, do a good job in Ezekiel 34, uh, 23, God says, I'm going to remove you and I'm going to put my servant who does it well. He was speaking about pastors that fed themselves, that they were crushing the sheep. Uh, you know, they were eating all the fat of the sheep. You'll study the wall of, of, of Ezekiel 34. He was speaking against the greedy shepherds. But look at what he finally says in Ezekiel 34, 23. He says, then I'll set over them one shepherd, my servant. You hear that word again? David. Now, he's not speaking of David per se, because David by this time is long dead. But he's speaking of Jesus, the son of David, like Luke calls him, who is going to come and take his throne. And he will feed them, and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. That is a point well made. And finally, he speaks of him being a branch. A branch. What does this mean? Jesus is referred to as a branch, uh, pointing to his 
humble, you know, estate starting um, humbly and then growing like a branch grows and then fruitfulness. That is what it actually points to. Uh, one passage that uh, brings uh, the perspective of Christ being the branch out well is Isaiah 4.2 and Jeremiah 23.5. Um, in uh, Isaiah uh, 4.2, we see him being spoken about as the branch. Let me bring that out and then I will uh, wind up very, very soon. In Isaiah 4.2, the word of the Lord says, In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth will be the pride and the adornment of the survivors of Israel, pointing to Christ. You see, if you study the whole context of that uh, particular scripture, uh, you, you understand that. Very, very important. Very, very important. In uh, Jeremiah 23, uh, verse 5, he brings it out well as Jesus is the branch as we are going to see behold the days are coming declares the lord when i will raise up for david a righteous branch now that cannot be a literal branch of a tree and he will reign as king who is going to reign as king in the line of david jesus christ and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land therefore friends if you are going to be a symbol of uh christ as the branch and christ as the servant how must we live Paul calls it being divine ambassadors. This is what we are going to do. Men and women are meant to look at us and run to Christ and say, I want to be like that man. I want to follow his God. I want to be like that lady. I want to follow her God. You see that? We are divine ambassadors. An ambassador doesn't speak his own language. He speaks the position of his sending country. An ambassador is protected. An ambassador is sealed. An ambassador is an alien in the land where they are because they can be recalled anytime. We are divine ambassadors, but look at how we live down here. Friends, those are the terms of sainthood. May the Lord bless you. I know that being a saint comes with responsibility. We realize that it comes with the demand for obedience. It also comes with the demand of glorifying the Lord, living as a symbol, such that men will see him like we see in Matthew 5.13. Uh, they will see him with our light shining, with our salt making sense, and men who desire uh, to be like us. May the Lord bless you as you ponder upon the terms of your sainthood. God bless you, and I wish you a wonderful time.